Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Continuing on in our in our great journey of reading through the Bible, and um, we are going to coincide that with some lessons from the land as we share what we learned in our time uh, in the Holy Land. Uh, we are in Exodus now, and um, with that in mind, I'm going to pick up a passage from Exodus 16. This is right when the um, the people have crossed over the Sea of Reeds. And they are now receiving manna from heaven. And so this is the story of that. So hear now the word of the Lord. Every morning they gathered it as much as each person could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, the people collected twice as much food as usual, two omers per person. All the chiefs of the community came and told Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil, but you can set aside and keep all the leftovers until the next morning. So they set the leftovers aside until morning as Moses had commanded. They didn't stink or become infested with worms. The next day Moses said, eat it today because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you won't find it out in the field. Six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be nothing to gather. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather bread, but they found nothing. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to obey my commandments and instructions? Look, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you enough food for two days. Each of you should stay where you are and not leave your place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The Israelite people called it manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and tasted like honey wafers. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept safe for future generations so that they can see the food that I used to feed you in the desert when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put one full omer of manna in it. Then set it in the Lord's presence where it should be kept safe for future generations. Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses and he put it in front of the covenant document for safekeeping. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a livable land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes, and let us see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. We are going to hear stories of the time that we are in different places. And Ted Talley um, was one of our pilgrims who went, and he went a couple of days ahead of us and took some time and went to Egypt. And so uh, we're going to hear from Ted and hear a little bit about what he learned from Egypt right now. Cairo is a mysterious kind of place, you know, with the pyramids and so forth. I also did some quick research and found that the pyramids of Giza are right there, minutes from downtown Cairo. So I thought, well, the least I could do is get a city tour. Um, 
as it turned out, I was able to do more than that. But in general, so I did Cairo and I did Luxor. And Luxor is where you're supposed to go. I mean, you can hit Giza and the three big pyramids and the Sphinx. Mm -hmm. But Luxor has all this and it's away from the big city and it's south. Generally, my impression was, you know, we are here, you know, I am here in the cradle of the great religions. So I arrive in Cairo and, you know, overnight and uh, bleary-eyed and I get out and the terminal is totally decorated. (laughs) I mean, tinsel and Christmas trees Uh and Santa Clauses, everything secular that you could think of with uh, Christmas was in the airport. Then when I got to the hotel, which is one of these big high-rise hotels, named pretentiously Ramsey's II Hilton. So it was (laughs) right there on the Nile, named after King Ramsey's. And the lobby had this huge two-story poinsettia Christmas tree and tinsel and ornaments. And I mean, it would look like the lobby of a a big city hotel in America, except for Christmas. So I thought, well, this is interesting. And so I checked in, got settled in, and then when I conferred with the concierge, after he told me what we could do, I asked him about this. I said, what's the deal with the Christmas decorations? He said, well, we will be celebrating Christmas until January 7th because of the Orthodox Church calendar. I said, oh, sort of like the way we celebrate Twelfth Night, where I'm from in Louisiana, which designates the beginning of the carnival season, or it's the time when we say that's when the, the wise men arrived right. with their gifts from the East, by the way. Uh-huh, <laughs> so, uh-huh. so it all started kind of fitting together. Yeah. Now, this gentleman was Muslim, and he explained to me the respect that the community has for Christians celebrating Christmas, even though only 10 to 15 percent of the population in Cairo is Christian. And that made me think for a long time how divisive we can be and how certain fringe elements can tear apart not only world religions or place nation against nation, but even within the smaller confines of Christianity, within a denomination or within a group of denominations Mm -hmm. where this group doesn't believe that this should be done or that. So I, I, I got a real appreciation rather quickly about what was important and respecting of others' beliefs. Thank you, Ted, for sharing uh, so much of that story with us. If I were to ask you what you know about Egypt... My guess is that you would say, well, the pyramids, the Sphinx. Um, You might think about the mummy movies, right? Um, And then if we were to dig a little bit deeper, one of the things that you might say, well, it's part of the Middle East, and so it's dangerous. It's dangerous to be there, and it is inhospitable, especially to Christians. 
Um, and I will say that our, our biblical narrative doesn't necessarily help with that. Uh, because if I said to you, what do you remember about Egypt from the Bible? You would probably say it's the Exodus, right? It was the land that the Hebrew people had to flee from because they were enslaved. And they could not worship their God and they needed um, to get out of there. But do we remember how they got there in the first place? Do you remember how the Hebrew people ended up in Egypt? Was that Joseph was sold into slavery and as a slave there, he was listened to when he said, I can interpret this dream that Pharaoh has. And as he interpreted the dream, he told Pharaoh how to prepare for the coming famine. And as a result, Egypt did prepare and Egypt was able to provide for the whole known world and was able even to receive Joseph's family and provide them safe passage and a safe place to live and provide them with all that they needed. And they were, in fact, even honored in that place. And if we think about our New Testament, Egypt is where the Holy Family fled to when they faced the threat of Herod. Why is it that we think in terms of that fearful place? Why is it that we think of Egypt as a place to flee? Well, and what makes it a place to flee? Well, I think what makes the difference is whether you are driving from a position of scarcity or abundance, or if you are driving from a place of fear or trust. If we think about Joseph, Joseph interprets this dream of famine and how to respond, and Pharaoh trusted Joseph. And trusted Joseph's God. And the result was salvation of the known world. However, when a new Pharaoh comes along hundreds of years later, he becomes afraid of the Hebrews growing too numerous. They are too abundant and they are threatening his own abundance and power. And so he chooses not to see them as fellow humans, but instead as commodities that have gotten out of hand. And then when another ruler is afraid that he will lose some of his power, that he will have to share his power, that he will not have the abundance that he seeks, when Herod is threatened that drives the Holy Family to Egypt. But in that space, they are provided and given safe passage. And ultimately, the world knows salvation because, again, of Egypt. And that, that gets me to thinking about the fact that when, when it comes to how we understand Egypt and then how we understand a journey of faith, God's answer is always what you need is there if you and those around you trust and don't fear, if you and those around you respond with hospitality instead of hate, if you lead out of recognizing there is abundance of all that's needed instead of fearing that scarcity. And that's the truth of Ted's story. That is the truth of what we learned from Ted. But there was room enough for your God in this community. There was room enough for your faith to be expressed and even celebrated. It's much like the story of Joseph. There was room to learn. There was room to experience that hospitality, to experience the blessing and celebration for all involved. 
And that is the radical gift of the Sabbath. Let's think about that for a minute. They have just crossed the Sea of Reeds. They have spent hundreds of years in slavery. And what does God give them first thing on the other side of that, having fled Egypt? The first thing God gives them is a day off. A day off for slaves. And it is so radical and so hospitable, they don't even know how to react. In fact, they don't trust it. They are given all that they need, no more, no less, but they don't know what to do with that. And they struggle and they keep struggling. They keep going out. Okay, we were told we don't have to gather on this day, but we're going to go anyway. There's nothing there. Trust God. Uh, Okay, we're going to gather extra. The extra is not going to last. Trust God. All that you need will be provided. And they, they obviously are struggling to continue to remember this lesson um, because if, as you're reading along in Exodus, you'll see that about every third passage, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It even shows up in the Ten Commandments, right? This is a very important thing. God wants us to get this, and it's not just about having a day of rest and recovery. It's about trusting that you have all you need, that one more day of work is not going to make the difference. Stop and trust. I know, I know. Look, in the first service, Brooke was glaring at me <laughs> with a kind of grin on her face. I'm like, I know this is my struggle too, right? This is, this is hard. It's hard for us to trust that. It's hard to trust that the Lord will provide. And that's not a simple theology. I'm not, I'm not this is not driven out of, of um, you know, this assumption that you pray hard enough and everything you want will happen. That's not what I'm talking about here. Because sometimes we need to adjust our ideas of what we truly need, right? Sometimes we are seeking more than we need. But the other thing is, is we also have to learn to trust each other. We have to learn to rely on one another. Because if we can rely on one another, then truly we will have all that we need. Because out of my abundance, I will share with you. And out of your abundance, you will share with me. If we can learn to give freely of our abundance and trust each other, then then we won't have need. And we can then trust that God has given us each other to provide all we need. So we need to trust, but sometimes that means telling ourselves a different story. Choosing which narrative we give preference to. Choosing what our default narrative is. Now, when I opened this up, I said your default narrative about Egypt and the Bible is probably it's the place you have to flee. It's the place you need to be afraid of. And when I take that and apply it to this journey that we just went on, I will tell you that many of the people who wanted to go on this trip chose not to go. Why? Their fear. They're afraid. It's so dangerous in the Middle East. And I will tell you, that was the main worry of the people who did take the chance. Were we going to be safe? Because that's the narrative that we hear. It is a narrative of scarcity and hate, of fighting over land and power and religion. And there is some truth to that story, and we will talk about that more in depth next week. But why is that our default? Why is that what we assume? Because let me tell you what we actually encountered. 
when we were in the Holy Land, what we actually encountered. First of all, we encountered abundant hospitality, probably best represented by the buffets. <laughs> Y'all, I, that is a lot of food and a phenomenal food and so good and good for us. And I mean, there was also chocolate cake, so, you know. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but just such wonderful spread after spread after spread after spread. I ate so much. And then we also encountered profound care and protection of our stuff and of us. We had three phones lost, actually two phones lost. One phone was lost twice. (laughs) We almost were going to tie the phone to the person by the end of it all. But, um, and you think you'd lose a phone, it's gone, right? Somebody's going to steal it and go. All three times recovered. The third one, it is on its way in the mail coming back to the United States. And we offered to pay for it. And they said, no, of course not. No, we'll send it to you. And then we had two people have some fairly serious injury in the course of the trip. One, um, it was really raining in Nazareth. And you will learn as you see more of the pictures how hilly this country is. And, um, and you're on old stone and hills and rain. And one of our older members just went flat back on the street. And the world stopped. And everyone made sure that it was okay to move her. And once we knew it was okay to move her, a family who had stopped their car took her and drove her back to the bus so she wouldn't have to walk anymore. And then we had a woman fall um, at the temple within eyeshot of the stone where Satan takes Jesus and says, throw yourself off from this place and watch God catch you. I'm going to tell you, it's a good thing Jesus didn't take him up on that because... Whew, she fell from ground level, and it was, it was a mess. Immediately, our tour guide, Joseph, sprung into action and took care of her and stayed with her, even going to the hospital with her. Now, he is, this is truly one of the, I'm going to leave the 99 for the one, because the 99 of us are like, hey, Joseph, where'd you go? Um, what he did was turned us over to another tour guide who was right there, And she just adopted us. We were orphans and we were cared for. She just took us into her flock and continued on with the tour and then got us back to a place where we would be able to meet Joseph. Joseph stayed with our our person until someone from the tour company got there and the tour company stayed with her the entire time she was in the hospital. Joseph makes his way back to us and takes care of us, continues on. And I can't tell you how many times the people in our group said, I feel so safe here because what they experienced was love and hospitality and abundant care. I feel so safe here. And that reminds me of the story that I like to tell about Egypt. I was a study abroad advisor for years and um, we had a student who 
the, the University of Arkansas has a robust Middle Eastern studies program. So we always had students studying in the Middle East. We had one that wanted to spend a semester in Cairo. We had read the State Department warnings. We said, stay in Cairo, do not get out of Cairo. And then he did what every college student does and quickly disregarded our instructions and went out into the countryside. And while he was out in the countryside, a gentleman um, started visiting with him and found out they were Americans and was so excited to have this chance to extend hospitality to strangers that he took them all around the town um, and showed them everything and took them out for meals and wouldn't let them pay for anything. And then, and then this, this gentleman said, my cousin is getting married. Would you come to the wedding? And the students were like, no, that's not, that's overstepping. And he was like, no, it is a blessing to have strangers come to your wedding. Would you please come to the wedding? Well, it turns out it was a blessing not to just have strangers come to your wedding, but to have strangers be in your wedding. So they were in the wedding party. Um, and part of the whole two-day celebration for the wedding, and then the, the gentleman took them around another day and showed them more things. By the end of the four days that they spent in the countryside, everyone was weeping when they had to leave. Weeping because they had experienced such love and care and hospitality, and they had been made family. That's the story I like to tell about Egypt. God is trying to lead us out of Egypt but he is trying to lead us out of Egypt, that place of scarcity, that place of fear. And God is trying to lead us into the Egypt that is a place of love and abundance and joy. We just have to choose which story we listen to, which story shapes us. We have a choice. We can choose to fear or to trust. We can choose to grab in desperation or extend hands of generosity. We can choose to hoard up that plague of hate or experience the liberation of love. We can choose to flee from that Egypt of fear or flee to that Egypt of trust. What will you choose? What will we choose? Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.